Hi, I'm your host, Cassie Gillespie, and you're listening to Welcome to the Field, a podcast of targeted training for child welfare workers, caregivers, and professionals. Today, I'm super excited to bring you an episode where we're going to talk about sentinel injuries and bruising. We're going to talk with Dr. James Metz and forensic nurse Tracy Wagner from UVM Medical Center's Child Safe Program. And as always, we just want to let you know that due to these very odd times um, in the late spring and early summer of 2020, we're recording from our homes due to COVID-19. So if it sounds like we're all sitting in different rooms, that's because we are. All right, so let's get started. Um, Welcome, James and Tracy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. Hi, we're so happy to have you. Let's start just with the basics. James, would you mind telling us a little bit about the Child Safe program and your title and your background and how you got there? Sure. Good morning. Uh, the Child Safe program here at University of Vermont uh, is has been around for several years, and uh, I uh, came to the program about a year and a half ago from Seattle, where I was doing my pediatric training um, and specifically child abuse training. Uh, I work here uh, in the hospital uh, with uh, both Tracy and a social worker, Mary Ellen. And we uh, work both with patients here in the hospital as well as uh, patients around the state uh, to help in protecting children and and, uh, diagnosing uh, child abuse uh, around the state. All right. And you're originally from Vermont, right? Is this a homecoming for you to come back here? It is. I, I originally am from uh, Shelburne and uh, was in Seattle for 12 years and uh, happily came back. We're so glad you did. Um, all right, Tracy, would you mind telling us a little bit about um, your kind of career trajectory and how you got connected with the Child Safe program? Okay. Well, I have um, been a pediatric nurse my entire career. Uh, worked at UVM Children's Hospital and worked in some inpatient, uh, outpatient, um, pediatric high-tech home visiting nursing as well, um, and uh, became a foster parent about 25, 30 years ago, um, and uh, did also did some work at the time with the UVM social work program, um, working uh, as a to help um, as an advisor for uh, social work students who were learning about kids with special needs. Um, and about 10 years ago or so, I uh, was asked by Dr. Patno and um, the emergency department who began developing a child sexual abuse response in the emergency room. So um, was I was interested in that. And uh, here I am today, 10 years later, had helped uh, Dr. Hagen a little bit as we ran the began starting a child abuse program um, at the Vermont, uh, University of Vermont Medical Center. So for folks who are either new to the topic or just need a refresher, would you mind telling us what are sentinel injuries? Sure. Sentinel injuries um, mean different things to different people, but in general, sentinel injuries are those injuries in children that are harbingers uh, of Uh, worse injuries. So for instance, uh, we often think of uh, bruising as a sentinel injury. So uh, a small bruise on a child that is two weeks old would be considered a sentinel injury. Or a small cut of the frenulum 
of a of a child would be considered a sentinel injury. You might, you might have, have to tell, tell us what a frenulum is. Sure. Uh, a frenulum is that little piece of skin uh, underneath the tongue that sometimes uh, uh, gets clipped uh, if people have a tongue tie or if little children have tongue ties, they sometimes clip that uh, to help with uh, breastfeeding. So they're very, they're, they're the injuries that oftentimes keep me awake at night because they often get missed. And if they get missed, then the child uh, potentially goes home and uh, suffers worse injuries uh, in the future. Okay. I know we're going to get into it in um, in a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious right now. So how might the injury to the frenulum be um, an indicator of something more sinister or, or something more impactful? Sure. Any injury on a child uh, that has a poor explanation or uh, really uh, is unusual uh, is concerning and it has to be explained. And so when we see an injury uh, such as a torn frenulum in a child, we, we look for uh, how that could happen. And uh, there are only a few reasons why a small child should have an injury to their frenulum or a small bruise on their cheek uh, or on their torso. And those should have a, a, a good explanation for them. And if they don't, uh, then we need to pursue it further and, and make sure that the child is safe. So when we see those injuries, we, we take note and um, think about other injuries that could go along with that. So, for instance, a torn frenulum could be from uh, force feeding a child or using an implement in the child's mouth uh, out of frustration or for whatever reason, and uh, could be uh, um, an indicator of worse injuries to the uh, back of the throat or to the head or something else. So we think about it in the context of the health of the overall uh, well-being of the child. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, so having done front end work myself in the past, I know that there are certain injuries that you really want to pay attention to. And also being the mom of a toddler who is currently covered in bruises from, you know, her knees to her toes and her elbows to her fingers. <laughs> um, is there any way to help us kind of remember or keep track of what is concerning and what is developmentally normative? Yeah, it's a great question. And I hope uh, that people don't come away from this thinking that every time there's a bruise on a child, um, they have to think about child abuse because that's that's far from the case. In fact, uh, when I see children in the hospital or um, outside uh, the hospital and with bruises on them uh, in the right location, I'm it's encouraging to me. It means that they're outside playing, climbing trees, doing what they should be doing, uh, and maybe not uh, spending so much time in front of the computer uh, or the screen. Uh, but there are bruises that are concerning and that we can't overlook. Uh, and those, uh, there's a few ways to remember them really easily. And they're based on science. They're based on good literature. And the two that I, the ways that I remember it and, and teach to are this. Uh, the first one is, the expression, those who don't cruise, rarely bruise. Okay. Tell us what that means. So what that means is children who aren't cruising, who aren't mobile, um, don't bruise very often. 
And we know that from looking at children in clinics, when they come in for uh, regular well-child visits, we look at their skin. And um, most of them, if they're just infants, don't have bruises on them. And once they start ambulating, children start moving around, crawling around, uh, getting up to stand, walk, run. Then there are certain patterns of bruises or locations on the body that we uh, expect bruises to be more often. Okay, thanks. Uh, and Tracy, do you want to tell us a little bit about 10-4 bruising in particular? Okay. Um, there was a, some good research done a few years ago, and um, it's a clinical decision-making uh, tool. So it's one tool that you can use, but it's validated, it's got good research behind it, and it's almost always accurate and true. 104 is the old CB code for <laughs> um, okay, good buddy. Uh, and it's um, an acronym. So it's the T itself. Uh, and you can write this down. Sometimes it's very helpful. So if you've got a pen and paper, you can write down T. T stands for torso. And that's the area between your shoulders and your hips. So it includes your um, genitals. It includes buttocks. So it's a pretty, pretty big expanse for kids. Um, so torso from shoulders to hips. E stands for ears. N stands for neck. And so that's torso, ears, neck, 10. The four reminds us that any bruises in any child under the age of four months are those that we should be worried about. And any bruises in the 10 region for children under the age of four, are four years are ones we should be worried about. So 10-4 is an easy way to think about bruises that are concerning. That's super helpful. Any bruises on any child under the age of four because they're very immobile and rely on caregivers for positioning and um, safety. And then bruises in that 10 region for kids under the age of four years. One quick little tool that's in everybody's toolbox. Yeah, that's super helpful. <clears throat> Do you have data on... Um how reliable it is or? Very, very reliable um, and very sensitive. So it's accurate at almost 80 to 90% of the time. And right. I just um, uh, reiterate that it is very accurate. It's very sensitive, meaning that it picks up a lot of bruises. Um, uh, the specificity is a little bit lower, um, but that's why we use other um, information to kind of come up with uh, a determination of whether that of our level of concern for abuse. So we don't just look at the bruise, but it is one tool to help us screen for uh, abusive injuries. Uh, so when we're talking about these types of concepts, um, I think it's always helpful to ground it in, in real life examples. Can you walk us through any type of case, certainly not with identifying information, but just to give us an idea of how 10-4 might be used um, in the clinic or in the Child Safe program. Sure. Uh, I can start, and I'm sure Tracy has plenty of examples as well, but we see children in the emergency department all the time, and it's a high-paced, high-volume area in the hospital. And so we need to be very careful about picking up sentinel injuries, such as bruises. So a child, maybe four months of age, comes into the emergency department for a cough. And the emergency department physician 
notices a small bruise on the uh, back of the child. And the uh, physician asks the parents what, what happened. The parents don't have a good explanation. And there's a decision that the physician can make. The physician can say, well, that's, you know, it just looks like a normal bruise. Or the physician can say that's not, uh, that they can remember the 10-4 rule or those who don't cruise rarely bruise and decide to do a further workup. In my experience, um, and we've had several cases like this, when the physician decides to do a further workup, which includes doing some x-rays, uh, some possible blood work, we have found further injuries. So uh, a rib fracture or a skull fracture or a clavicle fracture uh, in a child. And those would be injuries that you wouldn't see necessarily from just looking at the child, but would be an indicator of uh, further injuries that would have to have further explanation for it. So this is, this is um, real life. We see this in the emergency department, um, children coming in with all different types of uh, complaints. And we need to not only address that complaint, but also look for these subtle injuries uh, called sentinel injuries that um, may be missed if we don't stop and consider them as abusive injuries. And this may be you know, kind of already evident, but I just want to make sure it's super clear. So the presence of a bruise certainly is not a certainty, but could be indicative of an injury that you can't see. And in the cause of that injury or as that injury happened is how the bruise developed. Is that how they're linked? I guess my question is, how does the bruise connect to the unseen injury? Does it always or are they just correlated? Yeah. It's a great question. So sometimes they are correlated. Sometimes you see bruising over a fracture. Sometimes the bruising can be uh, isolated uh, and an injury in and of itself. Uh, but, you know, a, a small bruise on the chest of a child could be uh, from a parent or a caregiver uh, gripping a child. Uh, and that's all you see. And when you do the x-ray, you see some rib fractures. Or you might see a bruise on the cheek of a two-week-old. Uh, and we know two-week-olds shouldn't have bruising on them uh, mm -hmm. unless we know that maybe they fell out of a, a grocery cart for some uh, unfortunate reason. Uh, and then we do a head imaging and we see a skull fracture. So these are small uh, bruises that overlie injuries that you can't see uh, without doing further investigation. I think that often as kids are kids are really resilient, they're made to take a lot of a lot of rough and tumble. Um, and even like in my history as the nurse on the on the inpatient pediatric floor, you could see a child that had been in a pretty severe car accident and wouldn't have any kind of external injuries. But then when mm. you go to look inside the body, it, there's lots of surprises and things to be worried about. I also think about. Um, preschoolers or that that older age group kids who have bruises to their ears and that that's a common thing that that we get asked about often is this bruise uh worrisome and when you think about the world in general you don't see a lot of kids running around with bruises on their ears from normal yeah. play and so that's something that that is always worrisome and um from a form of, of discipline, used as discipline, um, it, it's something that we want to look into further and, and can cause internal damage that 
that outside injury is a marker of perhaps some internal injury. Gotcha. So I'm starting to kind of develop an internal list of injuries that might be more concerning or a bigger red flag than others. And I want to stop and check my own assumptions. So I'm hearing that um, any bruises on anyone under four months old, uh, especially newborns, really concerning. Um, With the older set, those ear bruises can be concerning. Are there other types of bruises that are really concerning um, that you want to make sure people pay attention to? Right. So again, um, if you go by the uh, 10-4 rule, so the torso, ears, and neck, any uh, bruise in that location uh, in a child four months of age to four years of age is very concerning. We also look at any sort of patterned bruise. So a bruise that has a pattern to it. Um, that's pretty uncommon uh, unless there's a good story for it. So uh, something with a right angle um, sometimes is indicative of a belt mark. Uh, mm. Sometimes we see handprints uh, on on the body and that's concerning obviously for a slap mark. So we also look for any sort of patterned injuries. Any injuries to the genitals in kids is very concerning and it's not common. And so we need to take note of that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question that I think I know the answer to, but I want to just double check here. Can you date injuries by the color of the bruises? Can the bruises give you information about when the incident occurred? I think Tracy should answer this because I I harp on this all the time. <laughs> so the answer is no. <laughs> um, no, we there's no science around uh, the color of a bruise or the to indicate the age of it. Um, we all see colors and interpret them in very different ways. So I might see purple and you might see pink. <laughs> um, and also children's bodies are all very, very different and display uh, colors and shapes and sizes that are that are different. So bottom line is no, we cannot age um, bruises. We have, we all have sort of an idea that they kind of transition from color from purple down to yellowish brown. But again, there's no way to to scientifically, positively identify dates and ages, times of bruises. When you do find a bruise, um, if you're working and you see a, a bruise that you think might be a sentinel injury that you're concerned about, what should the next steps be? That's a great question. It depends on where you're located in some ways, meaning if you're in the clinic, if you're at school, if you're at a school setting, if you're in the hospital. Um, But the first thing to do is stop and take note and not just pass it by. Again, bruises in children, as you mentioned, Cassie, early on, uh, are pretty common. And again, they're not always concerning, but sometimes they are. And recognizing that alone is a huge step. I teach all pediatric residents and trainees to put it on their differential diagnosis, meaning put it as something that is a concern and think about all the things that it could be from. Bruises can be from bleeding disorders. They can be from viruses. They can be from normal play. They can be from child abuse. And so you have to think about it. And so I think just the awareness that some bruises are worse than others is really important. The next step is then to do an evaluation. And again, depending on where you are, that evaluation uh, can may need to be done at a different location. Uh, so if it's in the clinic, 
uh, we recommend that the child be seen uh, fairly promptly uh, by a, a medical professional uh, to evaluate whether that bruise truly is concerning or not. Uh, if, it, if it's deemed by a medical professional uh, to be concerning, then uh, it needs further investigation. And what that investigation looks like is, depending on the age of the child, it can be further imaging. So imaging such as a skeletal survey, which looks at all the bones in the body. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the very young children under four months of age, uh, we uh, get head imaging to make sure there's nothing concerning for head injury. So depending on the level of concern and the age of the child, we have a fairly standardized workup uh, that's based on data and research and, and standardized across the country of how we work up bruises for possible abuse. Thanks. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I know lots of folks are thinking about a lot lately uh, with all the things that are going on in the news, is how our systems may um, inadvertently or consciously play into racism versus anti-racism and power and bias. When we're talking about standardized workups, those are always places I get a little curious. Can you talk about how um, the Child Safe Program or even just the kind of protocols in general um, account for bias and all of the subtleties that different identities people might have? I would say that we um, are, are trying to always hold ourselves accountable to being objective and careful and um, strength-based and uh, family-centered. So engaging and with families, working in partnership with our, with our community partners, all those, those um, mechanisms really help us to be accountable. And we um, have to ask those tough questions of ourselves. Are we, is this the right decision? Are, um, are we being objective and clear and, and um, thoughtful about the process? So mm -hmm. something that we, we try to hold ourselves accountable every time every decision that we make so and then with the standards and process that ensures that we're doing an objective medical work based on medical science and evidence and research and that our workups are objective and evidence-based you bring up a great point and i appreciate you you bringing it up because it's uh, especially relevant now there is good science and good literature that shows that uh, uh, underrepresented minorities are treated differently in the medical yeah. uh, system. Mm -hmm. And that, that's across the medical system and not just with child protection. And so it's unfortunate, but we know it, uh, from a child protection standpoint that underrepresented minorities are often uh, treated differently when it comes to a workup for child abuse. And the ways that we can combat that, and we are trying to here in our hospital because Everybody has uh, a level of implicit bias and, mm -hmm. and that they uh, come to work with is to develop protocols that are standardized, that it doesn't matter where you're from, what socioeconomic status you are, what race, religion, uh, gender, that you get worked up uh, because of the injury and not because of any other social factor. And I think that's really an important point to uh, drill in on because I, I would uh, hate for people to fear coming to the emergency department thinking that they're going to get treated one way uh, because of the way that they appear. 
Mm-hmm. And that would be very disappointing. So we are working very hard to standardize the process to the degree that we can uh, so that when a child comes in for uh, a child abuse evaluation, that they get the same care regardless of all these other factors that come into play. Thanks for explaining that. That's helpful. So we've talked a bit about bruises or a good bit about bruises. Are there other injuries that are sentinel injuries that you just want to name up? Um, and make sure people are aware of and paying attention to? Or are we really just focusing in on 10-4 and those bruises that are kind of unexplained or in a vulnerable area? There are other sentinel injuries. Um, bruises are obviously the most common, but we also think about the tear of the frenulum. Mm-hmm. We think about bleeding in the eyes of children, of the whites of the eyes. So that's not very common in young children and, and is indicative of some sort of trauma that we need to be more uh, curious about. Some people would consider uh, subtle fractures as as sentinel injuries. Other people um, only think of them as outward injuries that you can see uh, visibly. Um, But those those are the types of injuries that we get concerned about. And just in case there's now a rush on the clinic with people who have thought about some bruises, are there any bruises that people don't need to be worried about? (laughs) What are the the normative places where people shouldn't get too worked up? The bruises that we don't worry so much about are bruises on shins. Um, I'll say as a new, my oldest son is now 39 and I am the mom who took him to the pediatrician because I was worried about bruises all over his body, but they were just normal, plague, (laughs) healthy bruises. Um, uh, Bruises on bony prominences because those are, that's where, where contact happens and there's not much fat protection to, to help. Um, bruises on foreheads. What's a bony prominence? Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> a bony prominence would be like your knee or maybe elbow or your shoulder blade, anywhere where a bone is kind of sticking out and um, hip, hip bone sometimes where Great. there's not a lot of fat, fat covering. Uh, forehead bruises are often not so worrisome and common because of Kids are and gravity, they just sort of fall down <laughs> and hit the ground first, right? A bruises on scalps, uh, because again, there's not much fat covering there, and that and um, they look worse than they are. It doesn't take much pressure to cause something that looks pretty bad, and that's a very common area for to get bonked. And then upper legs are also um, a kind of common area, they're a big area, and uh. You can fall on on a toy and that might be your leg that hits it first. So those those are some common places. Thanks. I think we're going to wrap up. Is there anything else you want to make sure folks know about this topic uh, before we kind of close up? I wanted to put a plug in maybe for the Child Protector app. It's an app that you can download on your phone. And it's it's medically based. Um, it's out of the University of Texas by Dr. Nancy Kellogg, and um, she's a world-renowned expert on these issues and Children's Mercy Hospital. But it ha- it's really kind of cool. You can actually just sort of type in exactly what you, you have in front of you. So if you have a, you type in bruise on a two-month-old on their forehead, and um, it asks you some questions like, is there a story or are there some medical concerns? And it kind of points you in the right direction. So it's uh, not, it's just maybe gives you some 
questions to ask and uh, to be sure that you've uh, investigated the situation further. It's pretty easy to use. It also encompasses some things like fractures and burns, but um, it's good to just sort of check out. It's a good teaching tool. It's also got some embedded videos that sort of explain how you can not actually see bruises or injuries on the outside, but injuries have occurred on the inside. It's cool. I use it a lot. <laughs> awesome. James, any last thoughts from you? I just appreciate you spending some time on this topic. And I would just leave everybody again with the two reminders that those who don't cruise rarely bruise and the 10-4 rule. That's super helpful to have them just be things you can remember like that. And for our listeners out there, we did a sneaky thing here and we got James and Tracy in for two episodes. So we're going to record another episode with them on medical child abuse. That'll come out in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that one. And James and Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to have you here and, and chat with you a little bit. Thank you. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks for listening. If you have any ideas about topics that you want us to cover or episodes that you're interested in hearing, shoot us a message. You can reach me by email at cassie.gillespie at uvm.edu, or you can leave us a comment on the webpage where you downloaded this podcast. Welcome to the Field is produced by the Vermont Child Welfare Training Partnership and the State of Vermont. And a special thank you to Brickdrop for composing and recording our music. See you next time.